You've just tuned into the Unify podcast from Unify Youth. Our goal is to equip young people with the Word of God so they can live empowered in Christ and tackle the challenges of this world. Tune in for weekly sermons, devotions, and interviews. Welcome to the Unify podcast. Hey guys, if you have your Bibles or your phones, can you open up to Psalm uh, 96, please? I'll be reading from the New King James Version, so let's follow along. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonder and His wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples, give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and tremble before Him all the earth. Stay among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Thank you, Ash, for reading our passage. Before we unpack it, let's pray and commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that you reveal yourself to us in your word. Lord, help us now to behold your glory. Would you help me to preach clearly, faithfully, and all those that are here to listen carefully. May your will be done tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this term... We've been studying the Psalms and the Savior. We've taken a selection of Psalms and we have beheld Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is the Savior that fulfills, quotes, teaches, and is anticipated by the Psalms. And tonight, our second last Psalm that we'll be studying, Psalm 96. And Psalm 96 answers three of life's most crucial questions. Three questions that are critical for each of us. Three questions that affect our destination for eternity. And these are the three questions that we're going to look at in this passage tonight. Three critical questions. The first is, who is God? Who is God? That's our first question. Our second question is, What is my duty to God? What is my duty to God? And the third question is, what is God's plan for the future? 
Where is all of this headed? What is God's plan for the future? These are our three questions. And this is what I want you to take away from this passage tonight. God is worthy of worship and we must worship him. God is worthy of worship. And because he's worthy of worship, we must worship him. Well, let's look at our first question. Who is God? This is essential. It's an essential question. If we get God wrong, then we get everything else wrong as well. Knowing God helps us to follow God correctly. And it also helps us to worship God better. Remember, we must worship the right God the right way. And so in order to do that, we actually need to recognize who God is. So how can we learn who God is? Well, we begin by looking at his revelation to us in his word. And Psalm 96, which we're looking at tonight, particularly teaches us a lot about who God is. And I've noted down seven lessons about who God is from Psalm 96. Seven lessons. And the first is this. Firstly, verse one, God is Lord. God is Lord. The psalm begins, verse one, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. He is the master. He possesses all authority. And like verse one, verse 10 tells us, God is a sovereign ruler. It says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. He has established the world and the world is firmly established because of his sovereign hand. The world will not move because he's in control. Nothing will happen to the world or anyone therein outside of God's plan. And that's a mighty comfort, especially in today's climate Everything, whether good or bad, only happens because of God's providence. Because God reigns. He reigns over the good and over the bad. He is Lord and he reigns. That's the first lesson. The second is also verse 1. It also tells us that God is separate from the earth. It says, all the earth are to sing to the Lord which means that the earth is distinct from the Lord. Now, there are some people that believe that God is everything and that everything is God, that a cosmic force that some call God is inside every cell of everything. And so everything ultimately is one. But this isn't true. God is distinct. He is separate from his creation. There is not one but there is two. There is creator and creation. Third verse two, God is a savior. God is a savior. The good news of his salvation, says verse two. God saves from sin and God saves from the consequences of sin. He delivers his people from attacks he delivers them from judgment. Remember Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount? It is the one whose house is built, not on the sand, but on the rock 
that will withstand the challenges of life. And greatest among them is the judgment of sin that is to come from God. But God offers salvation. God is a savior. Fourth, verse five, God is the creator. Verse five says, all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. God is the creator and creation is evidence of a creator. In other words, when we look around, we see the handiwork of God. It all testifies to the fact that there is a creator God. God is not an idol. He is uh, compared to, uh, incomparable to the other idols of verse 4. Compared to them, God is great. And the other gods are nothing compared to the God who made the heavens. The idols can't do anything. Remember Dagon, the Philistine god? He was made by human hands and invented by human imagination. God made Dagon fall over and the Philistines had to pick him back up and set him back in his place. What a pathetic God, but not the God of Israel. He needs no human hands to pick him back up. He is the director of every human hand. He is not created. God is the creator. God is creator of all the earth and therefore all the earth must worship him. What else do we see about God? Fifth, verse 10 and 13. God is a judge. God is a judge. He shall judge the peoples righteously, it says. He is coming to judge the earth and judge the world, says verse 13. God will handle things justly, truthfully, and fairly. More on this later. Sixth verse nine, God is holy. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, says verse nine. Tremble before him, all the earth. And to be holy simply means to be set apart. And God is set apart from creation. There is no one like God. And this is why, understand this, this is why sin is such a serious offense. Not because God doesn't want you to have a good time or God wants you to be traditional. Sin is so serious because it goes against who God is. Sin goes against God's nature. It goes against God's character. That is why sin is such a serious crime. 7th verse 6 and verse 8, God is glorious. God is glorious. Give to the Lord, the verse says, the glory due his name. And God's glory is explained in verse 6. We are brought into his sanctuary into the throne room of God to behold his glory. His glory is shown through this, through his honor, 
through his majesty, through his strength, through his beauty. God's glory is the revelation and presence of who God is and what God does, his actions in creation and in redemption. It is why we sing, Behold our God. Verse 8, give the glory due his name. That little word there, due, that indicates that we have a responsibility. We have a duty to God. Because of who God is, we have a duty to him. From everything that we've seen in this passage, even this passage alone, clearly God is worthy of worship. God is Lord. He is Savior. He is Creator, Sovereign Ruler, Judge, Holy, Glorious. And the glory is due His name. In other words, God is worthy of worship. And so we must worship Him. This brings us to our second question. What is our duty to God? What is our duty to God? Well, this passage tells us about our duty in worship towards God. And I've noted down seven duties of the Christian to God in this passage. There's certainly more in Scripture, but in this passage I've noted down seven. First is verse 1, sing a new song. It says, O sing to the Lord a new song. God's people are to sing a new song to him because of who he is and because of what he has done. They're to bless his name and sing a new song. Now, this doesn't so much mean sing the latest song. It, it, it means sing another song. Another song because of the new experience that you have had with God. It's not God saying, I've heard that one a thousand times, uh, 10,000 times, a million times. Can you sing me a new one instead? It's not saying that. It means sing another song because of the new experience that you have had with God. Because of the new things that you have learnt about him from his word. Because of how he healed your friend or helped you through your exams, because somebody you know has come to faith in Jesus Christ, sing a new song. Second verse two, the second duty, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day, says verse two. In other words, tell other people about the salvation that God offers. Tell them about how he saved you, how he is sanctifying you, how his mercy and his offer of salvation extends even to the deepest of sinners. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day, always. Third verse 3, declare his glory among the nations. And verse 10, Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Here's a question. If God 
is the God of Israel. If God is the God of Israel, then how is it that people from all the nations, the nations outside of Israel, will come and worship him? God's people must declare his glory among the nations. That's how. Jesus told his followers in Matthew 28 to go, to go to all the nations, to teach what he has commanded and baptize in his name. This means that people need to go, whether it be traveling overseas or whether it be uh, to your friends at school or perhaps in your own workplace, whatever your sphere of influence is, you are to proclaim God's glory in how you live and in what you say. And not just waiting, not just waiting for somebody to ask you about your faith. Oh, wait till they bring it up. I'm not ready yet. I know it's in God's plan if, if they come to me. No. To actively go, to go out of your way and to tell people, to declare his glory among the nations. Jesus said, you can't hide a lamp under a lamp basket. And nor is a city high atop a hill hidden, neither should we be. Now surely, some will hear the news and they will reject it. In fact, most will reject it. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to righteousness and salvation. But surely some will hear the news and turn to God. Jonah, the prophet Jonah declared the message of judgment from God to the city of Nineveh. And what happened? They repented. Declare his glory to the nations. Say among them, the Lord reigns. Fourth verse four. God is to be praised greatly. God is to be praised greatly. For the Lord is great, it says, and greatly to be praised. To be praised in other words, above every, every, anything else and everything else, to esteem God as the greatest, to not worship him half-heartedly, not with just portions of your life. God, I'll let you into my school life. But once I get home and I have free time, I'm sorry, but that's off limits. That time is all mine. No, not stingily, not the leftovers, not with second best, we worship the greatest God with our whole life. God is great and greatly to be praised. Fifth, also verse four, God is to be revered. It says he is to be feared above all gods. The other gods are nothing compared to the God of the Bible. Do you remember God sending the 10 plagues? Well, each plague was directed at the different gods of Egypt to demonstrate that God was greater and to be feared above all other gods. It was Jesus who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You see, there is no other way under heaven given among men by which you can be saved. You can't worship another god to be saved. Perhaps you... Don't worship Baal or Shiva or Allah. Perhaps you worship the God of entertainment, of food, of sport. 
verse 5 tells us to reject idols and turn to the Lord. He is to be feared because he is creator and because he is holy. Look at verse 9. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And the idea here, if you can imagine this for, for a second, the idea here is to bow down before the throne, to prostrate before God and worshipping him in his holiness means to know who God is, to recognize that he is holy. He is not our best buddy. We can't throw around his name carelessly. He is God. And even the demons know who he is. And they tremble. 6 verse 8, make an offering. Make an offering. Verse, starting at verse 7 tells us, give to the Lord. Give to the Lord. Verse 8, give to the Lord. Bring an offering and come into his courts. An offering was made when this psalm was originally composed at the time of David in 1 Chronicles 16. The Ark of the Covenant was taken to the temple in Jerusalem. But our offering is an offering of praise, of obedience to God. It's a tribute to our King. We have nothing of our own that we have not gained from God. And so all that we already have already belongs to God. Some of you do this already. Some of you already ascribe glory to the Lord when you sing with passion and you sing with truth, when you give money or your time. God loves when we ascribe glory to him, when we sing songs that declare who he is. Seventh verse 13, finally, it speaks of the judgment that is coming. So our duty also is to obey God, to kiss the Son, to be found on the right side of his judgment of righteousness and truth. It is Jesus who said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Our obedience to God is a demonstration of our love towards him. It is not what saves us. It isn't what saves us. Christ alone saves us, but it is a sign of it's like a road sign that tells you 500 kilometers until Melbourne. The sign doesn't drive the car. It doesn't make the car go or reach its destination. But what does it do? The sign says you're going the right way. We are not saved by our good works, but they indicate, they demonstrate our faith in God. Our duty to God is worship. Because God is worthy of worship, we must worship him. We must obey God. We must sing a new song. We must declare his glory among the nations and tell them the Lord reigns. We must reject idols. We must revere him and tremble before his holiness. That is who God is and what our duty is to him. But we have one final question, one final question. But before we get there, we need to notice something very important about this psalm. We need to pause and notice something very important. Psalm 96 is written in anticipation of the coming Messiah. 
It's waiting for the Messiah, a person that the Jews were waiting for, that they were singing about, that was prophesied, that was promised. And the Messiah, well, he tells us that God is seeking worshippers. God is worthy of worship and he is seeking worshippers. In John 4, 19 to 26, we read about Jesus and the woman of Samaria. Look at John 4, 19 to 26. It says this, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She says, I've been waiting for the Messiah. I know that he's coming. I'm anticipating. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for. And Jesus came. He lived the one perfect life in perfect obedience to the Father. And he died the one perfect death, which makes atonement for our sin. In him, in Christ, we are justified before God. And he came at just the right time. The Jews were waiting. They were anticipating. But Galatians 4, 4 5 tells us that when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. At the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus Christ commissioned his followers to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. And he ascended to the Father where now he rules and reigns. And in Psalm 110, God the Father says to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus now is ruling and reigning over the whole world. And he is reigning in the hearts of every believer. His kingdom is growing. It is being established. Israel anticipated the coming of Jesus. And like Israel, we too anticipate. There is something that we are looking forward to. There is a future event yet to unfold. Jesus has already come, but Jesus' second coming is what we are looking forward to. And this brings us to our third and final question that Psalm 96 answers. What is God's plan for the future? What is God's plan for the future? Well, we know what God has done in the past, but what's his plan for the future? Is he just sitting back? I remember when I was in primary school, I had this idea that Jesus had died, uh, that Jesus had rose again. And now if you believe in him, you're going to heaven. And if you don't, you're going to hell. 
And in the meantime, God is just sitting back. He's waiting and waiting while people are endlessly born, endlessly die and end up in eternity somewhere. This is an inactive God with no plan. An inactive God that sits back and has no plan. That is not what the Bible teaches. There is also this idea that we pass from the physical realm into the spiritual realm when we die. That the physical world is bad and the spiritual world is good. And that the physical realm just continues to exist and go on while more and more people pass through and cross over into the spiritual realm, which is actually the good place. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is called Gnosticism. God has a plan for the future and his plan involves the physical and the spiritual. God's plan is a new heaven and a new earth. God is ruling now on the throne. But still, when we look around, our experience is that we see injustice. We see evil. But one day, justice will come from God. And this will come when Jesus returns again. What is God's plan for the future? Read verse 10 to 13. Verse 10, he shall judge the people righteously. Verse 13, he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Creation has been longing for this day. Romans 18, 8, 18 to 22 tells us that creation is groaning. It is groaning. It is under the curse of sin. And it longs to be free from the curse at Jesus' second coming. And at that time, when Jesus does come, verse 11, creation will rejoice. It says, let the earth be glad, let the sea roar, all its fullness, let the fields be joyful, all that is in it, then all the trees of the world will rejoice before the Lord. They rejoice at the coming and the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 13, for he is coming. He shall judge the world. Jesus is coming. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus is coming again? He's coming with a purpose to establish his kingdom on the earth visibly and to judge the world. And he will judge it in righteousness and in truth. It will be fair. It will be just. If God left sin unpunished, then he wouldn't be just or good. That's why we need Jesus so desperately to take the punishment for us. And you see, until this time when Jesus comes again, God's righteous judgment has been like this. He has been holding evil back. He has been actively restraining evil. And sometimes he gives a nation over to its sin and consequences. God is judging now. But one day he will judge in fullness. God will bring justice finally when Christ returns. Finally, because all creation has been anticipating it, has been wanting it, has been groaning for it. And finally, because it is the last time, Jesus now is ruling 
from the right hand of the Father, but soon he will come again. The gospel is urgent, not only because you might die tomorrow, but because Jesus is coming again at a time that nobody knows. And I ask you this, Christian, do you long for that day? Do you long for it? In that day, Revelation 5 tells us that the hosts of heaven, accompanied by the prayers of the saints, will sing a new song. They will sing a new song. They will sing of Jesus the King because he is worthy to open the scroll and worthy of all worship. This is what the redeemed will sing. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. All God's people will sing a new song. And the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, 10,000 times 10,000 of them, ascribing glory, saying loudly, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, in the sea, all saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom, to rule a thousand years. And at the end of his reign, his judgment will be final and finally Finally, justice will be realized. Perfect justice will be carried out. The wicked will perish and the righteous will live eternally with God. Jesus, the King, will be reigning visibly before everyone. And we will get to behold the glory of our Savior face to face. All sin will be done away with and we will no longer have to fight tooth and nail with the sin in our lives every single day. There will be no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. The old things have passed away. God says, behold, I am making all things new. That right there is all the reason to worship the worthy Lord God. And from that day and into eternity, we will be worshipping the King forevermore. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of worship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, would you teach us to behold your glory, to know who you are in your word, to have a posture, a heart that adores you, that longs to worship you and serve you. May the prayer of our heart be, come, Lord Jesus, come. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.